The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. So let's start with with uh, 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 more details of that Synovus Energy Husky Energy merger. Now, we've been told that if Synovus succeeds in its $3.8 billion friendly takeover of Husky, thousands of jobs now are expected to be lost. In an email, Synovus spokesperson Reg Curran says it aims to trim between 20 and 25% of the 8,600 employees and contractors currently working at the two companies. That's just another big kick in the gut for, for the industry. So um, that's going to equal about 1,700 to 2,100 workers and most of the cuts are expected to take place in Calgary where both companies are headquartered. Uh, Dan McTagg is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. He was formerly the head of the senior or he was formerly the senior petroleum analyst at gasbuddy.com. Dan, welcome back to the show. Uh, good to be here, but I wish it was on more favorable and uh, friendlier and uh, better news. <laughs> Well, and and that's it, Dan. And uh, I I don't know how much more this this sector can take right now. When you look at this and you look at the news um, of of these layoffs specifically, I mean, what are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking uh, I'm in Eastern Canada. I'm thinking of the fact that there are, uh, is obviously a, more than just hurt. We saw Sunoco, uh, Sun ordered the same thing a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. We're waiting for Exxon uh, Mobil to do the same thing. Uh, this is really a testament to what has happened to the energy sector, uh, not just the first time. We saw some of this in 2015, 2016, when Saudi Arabia decided to flood the market and realized they were only doing damage to themselves. We've seen the effect of uh, protracted uh, campaign to shut in and shut down uh, Canada's energy resource sector. And it's not just, of course, oil. It's also natural gas protests that led us right up to and uh, blockages across the country right up to the uh, beginning of the pandemic. So these proverbial chickens are coming home to roost. It's pretty clear now that I think we're seeing uh, you know, the full effect, the devastating impact this is having on lives of people who are going to be told that there will be no more work for them. Yes, there will be a period of time where there might be a transitional period, but uh, ultimately two things have to happen. Uh, we need to see an end to this pandemic quickly, and we also need to see a government uh, in Ottawa more committed to backing a resource sector that has been really at the, uh, at the core of our national prosperity. And I say that because... If you lose 1,700 to 2,100 people on top of what you've lost, on top of what mm-hmm. could be coming the next couple of weeks, the hit to the national and provincial treasuries are going to be dramatic. And so those who content themselves with thinking, well, I'm immune from this, this doesn't affect me. I remind a number of folks I see here in Toronto every day, you work for the financial services sector, the banking services sector. In the past four years alone, $161 billion in economic activity spurred the Ontario economy thanks to what was happening uh, in Alberta's oil sector. With that gone or that damaged, you can imagine that there will be pink slips that will be shared by a lot of people here in Ontario. They're not aware of it yet, but it's coming. Well, Dan, and, and you and you raise an interesting point because I think a lot of folks out here in Alberta feel like we uh, are just, you know, beating this drum uh, to to empty ears that we're we're not getting any attention out of uh, Western Canada. How is the situation? How is this this very very tough um, situation in the energy uh, sector playing out in Eastern Canada, in Ontario, in Quebec, into uh, the Maritimes? I mean, is it on anyone's radar? Well, it is in the Maritimes. Uh, the refinery I helped save in 1998 when I was a member of Parliament 
they come by chance refineries shut down. We see problems with the white rose. I think I saw an article this morning, very well written by uh, Diane Francis in the National Post, something that mm-hmm. uh, everyone should take a very clear look at. This is going to cause a stand-up, take-note moment for a lot of Canadians. Why? Because short of Eastern Canada's, uh, you know, continued, uh, you know, imperviousness to these kind of problems uh, on, on in the West and certainly on the East Coast, uh, the only thing holding things up here is the real estate market. And once that takes a hit, a substantial hit, uh, deferred mortgages that began last March and April become mark, uh, potential uh, defaults, you're going to start to see some rather dramatic shifts. We're seeing this, of course, with the pandemic. A lot of businesses have lost their shirts. This just makes a bad situation that much worse unless the federal government has a plan to print a lot of money and they can uh, you know, sort of pivot to this idea that uh, modern monetary theory of printing money uh, and then spending until you've, uh, you, you run out of options is a way in which you can conduct good public policy. Wait till we start to have to pay for this. Uh, the Prime Minister mm-hmm. talked about an anchor yesterday. Long yeah. since he should have been off offering that kind of an anchor. But back to this issue, energy is the most important, single most important, most lucrative uh, economic sector we have. The fact that it's uh, in serious trouble suggests whether we like it or not here in eastern Canada or anywhere you are in the country, the country as a whole is in very, very deep and big trouble. We know that Premier Kenny continues to push for uh, fiscal stabilization dollars. Other premiers are calling ch- for changes to the way that that formula is is uh, yeah. is fixed. Um, do, you, do you believe that there is any uh, appetite for changing that in Ottawa? Well, there is probably no appetite for it in Ottawa since the governing party uh, receives a good share of its vote in Ontario and Quebec, Quebec in particular. Uh, but I think reality is beginning to bite. It's only a matter of time before the bondholders, uh, those who are buying uh, Canadian debt, and many of them are foreign creditors, will begin to uh, turn around and say, look, you can't continue to have banks going to the central bank every night borrowing money they don't have without any basis in assets. Uh, you know, whether the Prime Minister uh, and his colleagues recognize it or not, it may very well explain why they haven't had a budget historically. Well, some are saying it's only 319 days. I, the last time when I remember was uh, back in March of 2019. That's over 500 days ago. Uh, that suggests to me that uh, there is a lot of bad news. Once that news is uh, pronounced, uh, look for a serious run on the Canadian dollar. Look for a serious run on Canadian assets. You've discouraged Canadian people from coming into Canada and making investments in our in our most important valuable sector, that is the energy sector, oil and gas sector. Uh, this has been a policy of the Liberal government. Remember, I'm a 38-year member of that party. Uh, half of that served as a Liberal member of Parliament, part of that as a Privy Councillor. Uh, this doesn't make me happy to recognize that while I was saying maybe we should be talking about consumer issues and concern about competition in the uh, downstream of the oil sector, I never set out for a moment suggesting that we should destroy the sector. i got to tell you, it does concern me that the federal liberals, uh, the party I once belonged to, is very much committed to the destruction of this uh, important, pivotal, absolutely indispensable industry and have no alternatives other than perhaps a few ideas around renewables. I can tell you that won't work. Talk to anyone in Ontario where the hydro rates have doubled in the past eight or nine years. You know what, you've been vo- very vocal uh, on Twitter as well about that, taking some pretty good shots uh, on online as well. So what do you think, h- how does the federal government then balance its commitment to renewables, to clean energy, and uh, and continue to support or support uh, the, the energy sector? Let the market decide that. We did it in the, in the automotive industry. Let me put my cards on the table. I worked as a public relations specialist for Toyota Canada. 
before I was elected in 1993. Uh, you know, vehicles now produce far less emissions than what one of, would have seen you know, 20, 30 years ago uh, by a factor of 17-fold. We don't see air quality issues anymore. Let these things happen, not by osmosis. We know we have to hit a certain target. But if you're going to impose these things on people and you're going to dismantle the very thing that makes the country lucrative and its ability to get to those places and to attract the investments, government cannot substitute in terms of deficit spending what the private sector is doing right now. And that, uh, that is not something that's un, uh, you know, unconventional with most liberals, those who run the business, those who understand how the economy runs. Of course, I was a member of parliament during the Paul Martin Jean Chrétien era. We got it. We understood that you couldn't have an economy running without a strong energy sector, a strong manufacturing sector. We have really traded away those things under the current government, and it's time that perhaps they be revisited with it, with uh, with what is the best interests of the country is to arrive at those places consistent with what our neighbors are doing, consistent with where the rest of the world is going. And if you really want to do something about climate change, for God's sakes, change the Paris Climate Agreement so you get credit for selling natural gas to India and China, so they bring down their emissions. Of course, that's what happens when you, uh, through a, a rather woke and very quick reaction to <laughs> signing on to an agreement to be trendy and all things to all people, you wind up signing an agreement that uh, penalizes your country. A country, by the way, that has been can boast some of the cleanest energy technologies when it comes to our energy resources in the world, bar none. Dan, I, I was talking with uh, another energy analyst uh, earlier this week about uh, the, what might happen if uh, Joe Biden becomes president with that pipeline going from uh, from from Alberta down to to the U.S. What are your thoughts there? I mean, Biden has said that he will cancel the permits. Um, do you think that there is any way that he could be talked out of it if he does become president? <laughs> Well, the reality is that Saudi Arabia is not selling heavy oil. Iran's not able to sell heavy oil. Venezuela's not able to sell heavy oil. Mexico can't sell heavy oil. How are the Americans going to run their farm, their farms, their tractors? They're not going to be able to do it on windmills and on photovoltaics, uh, you know, or on uh, uh, any type of uh, special concoction someone can come up with in 30 or 40 years from now. Look, North America needs heavy oil. Uh, most mm-hmm. U.S. refineries, especially in Critical Pad 2, which is the U.S. Midwest, all the way down to the Gulf Coast, and yes, even trendy California, has to run on much heavier slates of crude. They can reconfigure the refineries. So unless the Americans have a plan to shut down their economy and stop fracking, because, of course, American uh, frackers are having a hard time, too. Uh-huh. Uh, many of them are facing and staring down the, the, the road of bankruptcy. They've been over-leveraged far more than even Canadian producers have. We're looking at a circumstance, ironically, Jalen, in the next six months where I think uh, the demand, once the pandemic is over, is going to skyrocket. My concern is we're not going to have enough of the critical oil that we need uh, and nor will the United States have enough to meet its needs if uh, suddenly things take off again. Dan, before I let you go, you know, this Sonova's Husky deal uh, that uh, that we're, we're learning more and more about, we're seeing these numbers. Are you expecting to see to see more deals like this? Are, are it, is it going to get worse before it gets better? I think so. Uh, and unfortunately, I, until there's some kind of an, an outcome or we, we can get around this pandemic problem for the second time, possibly for the third or fourth time, until we can find a real way in which to uh, mitigate uh, this significant uh, destruction in demand, uh, there is more pain coming. Uh, at the end of all of this, for those who survive, uh, I suspect that we're going to see several good years ahead of ourselves. And by the way, anybody who thinks fossil fuels are going the way of the dodo bird is is, is uh, dreaming technicolor. Uh, as I like to remind my woke friends here in Ontario, I'm here in Oakville, Ontario, where federal provincial governments kicked in money to so the Ford plant can build a few EVs. 
you still need asphalt, you still need concrete, you still need polymers and resins, all of those to build an EV, and all those things require one common element, a hydrocarbon called oil and natural gas. So whether we like it or not, it's around for a long time. I happen to believe it's a damn good thing for the country, and uh, I celebrate the fact that uh, we, have a, we had a very strong energy sector in this country, and unless we're prepared to trade away our standard of living and the Canadian way of life, we better start to find a way, especially in Ottawa, with getting back and backing our winner, which is the, nat- the uh, natural gas and oil sectors. Dan, always appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jill. All right. Yeah, take care. Dan McTagg joining us. He is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, formerly the senior petroleum analyst at GasBuddy.com, and a former Liberal MP, was a longtime Liberal MP, and some tough words for his former party there. But yeah, so that $3.8 billion friendly takeover, uh, Synovus, uh, taking over a Husky, and, and and confirmation coming today that, as I mentioned, uh, thousands of jobs expected to, to, be last, uh, to be lost. Obviously, when you're taking two uh, two companies who do um, you know similar things there are there's going to be duplications in in jobs and so they're saying that right now that between 20 and 25 percent of the two companies current employees and contractors which is about 8600 so 8600 total employees about 20 to 25 percent of them um, are, are going to um, possibly lose a job. So they're saying those numbers crunch down to about 1,700 to 2,100. Uh, it's it's going to be even you know tricky for for Calgary. The the mayor there he he says he understands that this merger uh, makes sense, but uh, of course in you know concerned about the impact on on jobs and and who wouldn't be when you look around what is happening in the province uh, right now. We do know. Um, you know, if you look at um, real estate in downtown Calgary right now, uh, the vacancy rate uh, is 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 sky high, um, and they're afraid that it could go even higher. Uh, right now, it's sitting at uh, a vacancy rate in downtown Edmonton of about 20, or downtown Calgary rather, of about 29. Um, so far this year, those two companies, you know, as I said, they're looking to, um, you know, be stronger together. Those two companies, uh, the shares have lost 63% and 70% of their value respectively. So we'll keep an eye on uh, how this continues to unfold in the weeks and months ahead.